Blog Talk Radio. He's a man who's going to tell you like it is. You can never be afraid of something that you don't know about. Now that's ignorance. And for us, ignorance is not bliss. He's a man who's not afraid to talk about the real issues and not skate around it. Don't you think it's about time that you got tired of where you are? I mean, you have got to be ready for God to do something for you and let him move. He's a man who loves his God, his country, and his people. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not too fond of the political state of the world, and particularly the U.S. as it is right now. But if you want change, you have to make it happen. You can't keep settling for less than what you ought to have. He's a man who's sowing seeds of life, love, and liberation to anybody who's willing to hear. There comes a point in time where everybody just needs to shut their mouth up and listen to God. And God is the one who will lead us and God is in all truth. He'll tell us everything we need. That covers every area, every facet from politics to church to you name it. God's got it covered. He's a man that seeks the heart of God for the people of God. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Good morning, and welcome to Zero Today. I am your humble host, Pastor Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, and liberation. We are promoting a knowledge that is engaging and transforming, and it is our goal, our responsibility, our desire, every moment and every opportunity we get to do this show to impact, to, to help you, our listeners know and impact the world around you. And that's what we try to do every time we get on the air. And you're welcome to join us on this illuminating journey. There are several ways you can do that. The first and primary way that you can do that is if you can call in, uh, there's a number that you can call, 347-237-530. That's if you want to get your thoughts live on the air. You want to get on with me in dialogue and communicate. That's the way you do it, primary. We also have the chat room open. You can go to blogtalkradio.com slash zero today and join in on the chat room. It is up and running. And uh, we're, we we got good things going on this morning, so we, we would love, love to hear from you. Also, you can um, follow us on Twitter. Uh, my handle on Twitter is at prophesy. The show handle is at zero radio. So you could um, follow us on Twitter. We appreciate that. Follow us and like our Facebook page. It is Zero Network on Facebook. Go there and like the page. You can find some. Um, you find all kinds of archives shows from as far back as we've been doing it, 2010. Um, and you can share your uh, thoughts and commentary on those shows also. And we're also. Um, Go to the show website uh, on Black Talk Radio slash Zero Today. Like and subscribe to the show. Follow the show, and you can also see uh, some of the favorite shows we've done. And uh, you have a good time. Also, if you 
really want to contact with me, you can hit me at my personal email, pastorlorenzoneal at gmail.com. Um, and we're on Skype. We're on everything, Twitter. Yeah, we're, we're out there. <laughs> and we're glad to be able to do the show again today. It's, um, it's a season of change and fall weather is coming. And I'm just glad it's, uh, it's the last Wednesday of October. And then we're about to head into November and think. We only have 60 uh, or so days left in the year of 2015. Can you believe that? My, my, my. Just two months left in 2015. This year has flown by. And, man, I tell you. Uh, but, hey, to God be the glory. we got a couple of headlines we're going to talk about. Um, we're asking the question, what, what, what do you do when churches do everything but what they're supposed to do? Uh, the church is established to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what what happens when churches such as one in Singapore use the finances donated to them by faithful members to do something other than present the gospel? We'll talk about that, particularly with uh, City Harvest Church in Singapore and what happened to them and uh, their leadership as a result of that. Also, um, a couple other things, I, and I'm going to – after we pray, I'm going to talk about a couple of uh, some some uh, headlines. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for another day's journey that we're glad about. We pray, oh God, that you just forgive us of our sins. And let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight. God, our strength and our redeemer. We ask this in your son's name. Amen. Well, um, there's a lot of a lot of news in, in in the Christian world, and I may not be able to get to uh, all of them, but I definitely want to give my little insight um, to that incident in South Carolina with the schoolgirl and the resource officer. I have served in school administration. I've been a teacher. I was a teacher for um, several years before um, uh being placed into full-time ministry. And one thing I could say is that, um, you know, the school atmosphere has changed in public schools. Um, it has shifted so much so that um, leadership in the public schools is, their hands are tied. There's so much that they can, only so much they can do with students. Um, and, you know, it, it's it's dreadful to see that video, every time I've seen it, it, it breaks my heart because, you know, I don't care how uh, how disrespectful students uh, are. And I'm telling you, I, I've, <laughs> I've come across some very, very, very disrespectful students. And it's been very, you know, it, it's challenging sometimes. And I commend teachers who are still – on in the, in the classroom, in spite of all the difficulties surrounding not just the Common Core, uh, but discipline. Discipline is the biggest issue. Um, one of the biggest issues. There's several, but one of the biggest issues in the classroom today in public schools is discipline. Teachers are having to be um, more than just instructors. They're having to be, you know, parents, counselors, a whole lot of things. And when you have disruptive students in the classroom, it's very challenging for not just the, the instructor, not just the teacher, but the other school, the other students who actually want to want, learn. 
So you have a young lady, high school student, who was uh, told to, according to the story I've heard, as the other students shared, you know, put away her cell phone. Now, I'm personally, I personally don't think students should have cell phones in the classroom at all. That's just me. You know, when I was a teacher, we didn't have them. You know, we could use them on our break, but we didn't use them in the classroom. And I don't believe teachers, I mean, students should have them, you know. And I followed the school-wide policy we had in place at one of the schools that I taught. You know, if I caught you, I took it, gave it to the principal. Your parents had to get it. If they didn't come get it, you didn't get it back. And, you know, a lot of parents didn't like that. One parents felt that their children needed it because they, you know, lacked key kids. And I'm like, well, when I was a kid, we didn't have cell phones, and we were fine, <laughs> you know. You know, that's a whole different generation of things. But let, let me put it this way. You had a young student who had several opportunities to follow um, the commands that were given her, you know, direct order. She directly violated. And I've had those students in my classroom, you know, you tell them, you send them out with a uh, infraction, you go to the principal's office. And I hated doing that because I just hated interrupting my class to even entertain a student, I, you know, I let them, I, I gave them a look like, you keep on, keep on, keep on, you're going to see, uh, you know, I ain't going to send you out of my classroom because I actually have, if I got 25 kids and 24 of them want to learn, I am not going to let one disrupt me, Jeez, that person, that student is just going to be ignored, they're not going to get the attention, now, I've had some volatile students that I had to just, you know, look, you got to get out of here, because if I laid my hands on you, both of us going to be. <laughs> but the officer, when the resource officers is, is called, and every school I've taught at, we've had one. Uh, we had one when I was in high school. And, and so, you know, this is not the debate that's going on, all these should officers be in school take. You know, we've created environments for such because the teachers can't discipline students anymore. The principals can't discipline students anymore. They have outsourced the discipline to the police department. And nine times out of ten, you know, once they get part of that system, you know, we already know that that can lead to either greater infractions in, in, you know, in, in the secular world, outside of the classroom. You know, I've, I've, we've had students that were arrested and in, in, in jail because of domestic, you know, the events that were happening in school, not just fight, you know, when we were in school, back in the day, just a little fight, you know, a little disturbance or something to handle. Nowadays, you can't because you don't know. Well, let me, I'm getting off, off topic here. But, um, so the resource officer comes in. He, like the principal and the teacher, gives her, um, you know, Tells her to please get out the seat. She does, so he forcibly removes her. Now, I'm going to agree with everyone that I believe uh, his force was a bit excessive toward the end. You know, I don't think he should have pushed her. Now, pulling her out the chair, go right ahead. He should have pulled her. He, he was within his rights to pull her out the chair. Uh, it's clear that she was, you know, assaulting him, hitting him. You know, yeah, she did. She she did. So I think. But then, you know, he just went into rack mode. Was he over, what was he, was he a bit overzealous? Yes. There's no doubt about it. He was a bit overzealous. Was he a bit, uh, uh, was it a bit much? Yes. I think it was a bit excessive. 
Um, should he be fired? I, that is not my – I can't call that. I don't think he should be fired. Should he be removed from the school? Yes. But re- fired from the force? No. And I think we have to stop – and I'm saying this – we have to stop uh, making our, ourselves victims. The young lady was not a victim. Yes, she is a child, and yes, you know, I, I've, I've been reading posts on Facebook all kinds of stuff saying that, well, you know, it doesn't matter what she did, she's a child. No, she ain't a child when she resists the police. <laughs> you're no longer a child, you know. You're a child when you disrupt the class and you get sent to the principal and it stops there. That's when you're a child. But when law enforcement comes in, you ain't a child. You're a child, especially if you're sold to the officer, if you resist. If they had done that, you know, we saw the video of the in Texas of the young lady who had a pool party, and you know she was she was um, forcibly uh, 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 arrested by a police officer. Now I I, I say that 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 police was way overbound. You know that was really excessive, but that was a different environment. You shouldn't have gone that far, but we're talking about this environment in school. And plain and simple, I believe that uh, the officer was well within his rights. In um, in action, but it was a bit excessive. So yes, there should be some type of um, reproach for him. There should be some type of uh, correction for him. But firing him, I don't think it's you know, and and people are uh, making him. Well, that's that's the narrative. You got to have the victim narrative, so you have to find that all the negative. And it's unfortunate for this officer that he's been through this on more than one occasion. So he may have a problem. <laughs> They may have to deal with him, and maybe he has anger issues. Maybe he's just a bit overzealous. But unfortunately, you know, when we have this white cop black uh, victim narrative, that's what gets that's what sells the story. And and unfortunately, this young black girl white cop narrative is selling the story. And the Department of Justice is already getting involved. Supposedly, all kinds of things are happening even before the vet, the, uh, the sheriff does his own investigation. And I can understand the zeal, the zeal for, you know, the rush for for the um the rush to call to action. Say because again, you, we're talking about South Carolina, we're still um on the brink, we're still um kind of recovering from uh the incident at Emmanuel and with uh roof shooting and again you know, and so, as a matter of fact, one of the memes that I've seen is the is a, a comparison of the young lady being arrested and Ruth being arrested. And you had at the top how you arrest a young black girl for resisting some, something like that, or not getting out of her, her desk. And then that's the top picture, the bottom picture of how you arrest a white boy, a white man, after killing nine people, you know, you have the picture of him being peaceably escorted out. You have the picture or, or the steel capture of the officer uh, manhandling the young lady. My, my thing is this, to parents, your child needs to know how to respect authority. It's not popular. They you know they they have rights to stand up and and I, I've had kids that challenge me when I was in administration who who just knew they were in the right and I was in the wrong 
and I gave them this space to challenge me. But at the same time, they still got suspended. The parents still had to come to the hearing. And when I was at the hearing, uh, along with, you know, the other principal who was, you know, if I was, if I had to go, if I didn't have to go, um, I mean, I stated my case. And nine times out of ten, I think I only lost one time where I was found, you know, in the wrong. And I accepted that penalty. I accepted the penalty that I was wrong. I probably, you know, that, that happens. But uh, 95, 98% of the time, I was always right. Okay? And kids now, and I've subbed in, in public school since I've been out of the classroom. I've, I've gone as a substitute. Now, these kids, and <laughs> I, I'm like, I spent all these years in education. I know classroom management backwards and forwards. I know how to handle discipline. I, 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 got, my, I got my weight in the classroom. But I went in as a substitute. I'm like, my God, I can't teach in this environment. I don't see how the teachers do it. But pray for the pray for uh, that young lady. Pray for the officer too. Pray for all those involved because you know the reality is, uh, you know we 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 have to stop this sense of being victims. The narrative that's been put out is not helping us. As black folk, it's not helping us. It's actually making us look more vulnerable, not strong. And I can't fathom how our people, how our, our forefathers 40, 50, 60, even 100 years ago managed to carry dignity under such oppression. And we have freedom, and we're making our, intentionally making ourselves oppressed. We are intentionally bringing more oppression on us. Well, that's neither here nor there. But that's my two cents on that. If you don't agree with me, I'd love to hear about it. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. You know, you can hit me up on my Facebook page and whatever it is. I, you know, that's just me. I'm not pro officer. I'm not, you know, I think all black my all lives matter, black lives matter, blue lives matter. But the reality is, you know, we created this environment. We have created this environment. There would be no need for school resource officers if <laughs> there was a, you know ways that to be disciplined like they used to do yeah maybe i am a proponent of capital uh, corporal punishment in classroom maybe i am and it worked for me i don't know anyway let me move, <laughs> move on to the headlines that I, w- I wanted to talk about um oh yeah Juanina bynum is now bishop elect a bishop designate, Juanita Bynum. I got this from the Old Black Church uh, website. Um, uh, thank Ann Brock for for um, for that. Now uh, you go to the Old Black Church blogspot.com and you can see the story. But uh, since she's been elevated, I don't know how they. I don't know. It doesn't give any information about who. Uh, who uh, did did the elevation or consecration or whatever it is, but Bishop designate anyway. Uh, since she's been there, she's she's reopened the debate about women bishops, and and apparently um, this debate became more in the public arena thanks to Prophet Brian Card, who recently stated that uh, women bishops are not biblical. You know, it's not scriptural. And they clashed the head. Um, uh, Brian Brian Carn did a, a periscope, 
Periscope broadcast and basically um, saying that because she, you know, she went from being a prophetess to a bishop and to him, that's a demotion. And, you know, I, I, I hate when we bring these, you know, when we bring these kind of things into the public arena. I, <laughs> but, you know, that's the way things are. But anyway, he, he and I, I do understand he, he provided scripture and the primary scripture is found in Timothy where it says the bishop must be it. the husband of one wife and I, you know, and even though in my Reformation, the Methodist Reformation, uh, Methodist Church, um, we have women bishops. We have elected women bishops in the United Methodist, in the African Methodist Episcopal, African Methodist Episcopal Zion, and the Christian Methodist Episcopal. We all have women bishops. And, you know, that's good and noble. And But, you know, part of me says, you know, we need to stick by Scripture. But I, I understand, you know, that sometimes progression is needed, but. Uh, that's a whole different argument, I suppose. Um, we'll, we'll never, until Christ come back and answer all our questions, you know, we served, uh, we're called to serve the present age. Um, so that that is, because that's a whole whole different thing. But um, you might, you might, you know, some, some men saying that because we have, you know, I, I, I actually read, and I can't recall where, but I read an article, and I can't, like I said, I can't recall where, but where someone um, hypothesized that um, since women have been allowed in ministry over the last 40 years or so, that women have become more prominent in ministry, we've seen the emasculation of men in the church, or basically men leaving the church in the large and this this author, and I don't have to find this. Uh, I, I'm going off pure regulation, I, but um, the author asserted that um, part of the decline of attendance in men in the church is because of the you know women ministers. I I don't support that theory or hypothesis at all. You know I I don't I don't want to believe that the logic uh, state of the church is due because of women. And reality is that we wouldn't have a, a modern church, particularly the black church. We wouldn't be surviving if it wasn't for the women. So it, it you know, it is what it is. I'm going, um, now I'm going to forego this, this break. Because um, uh, there's a couple of stories that I really, uh, a few weeks ago, you heard the story about a pastor in Detroit. Oh no, 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 no! Before I get to that, this this story is is really <laughs> it's really catching fire. The story of you know, the, the news of the purity certificate, uh, and I'm sure you probably heard of it. Um, Dr. Michael Friedman, his daughter got married um, a couple of weeks ago, and during the marriage uh, or at the reception, whatever it was, she gave her father a certificate of purity, which said that she that her hymen was maintained, it was intact, and that she had not been sexually active. She promised to be pure. She made the purity pledge at age 13, and that um, she maintained that and to validate 
the fact that she did, she her gynecologist signed off on it and she framed it and got the certificate and gave it to her father. Um and you know, <laughs> and the picture went viral. The problem people are having is some, you know, there are some saying that it's outdated and there are others saying that it her father is it makes him come across as being controlling and, you know, domineering and whatever. Um it's so much. And there are those who say that she did it. Her husband did not do it. Her husband provided no proof as to whether he had maintained his sexual purity or not. And he wasn't required. And so the question was, is that biblical? You know, and that's what's floating around. If it's, if it's biblical or is it mandatory, would you, would you do that? Or is anything you know? And I'm like, uh, I think it was noble of her to do it. I don't think her father put any pressure on her to do it. I believe she thought this was a val- uh, valued means of showing her father love and appreciation. Now the other side, the, the flip side is that her brother got married last year or a year, two years ago, somewhere in there. Her brother got married. He did not do anything, and he was not. Uh, we're not. Uh, it's not a report as to whether he kept his sexual purity, and he did not present such a thing to her. But again, you know, every child is different. Every child wants to honor their parents differently, and that's the way she chose to. So more power to her. And I gotta commend both of them because the husband and the wife both said that they maintained sexual purity. They had no sexual relations until they got married. They probably breaking the bed up right now. <laughs> what are your thoughts on that? Um, I did the abstinence pledge, and I did not maintain it. <laughs> I ain't no lie. Uh, matter of fact, <laughs> the person who one of the persons who took the pledge with me too did not maintain it because we had relations. <laughs> so, for some that you know they they took it and they maintained it, but there are others, and statistics have proven that uh, those who participate in abstinence programs. Are just as more are just as likely, if not more likely, to engage in premarital sex. That's that's research that be proven that has proven that. But yet, there are still a lot of school public schools and uh, Christian denominations promoting abstinence only sex education. And while that's noble, uh, in many in many ways, it's unrealistic because you know the way the world is set up right now. <laughs> You find sex everywhere. You even find sex in cartoons for children. Really, seriously. So uh, those seeds are being planted, and because those seeds are being planted, it's very difficult to uh, get away from it. But that's neither here nor there. I'm gonna get one more. I'm gonna do one more, and then I'm going to the topic for the day. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we heard a story about uh, a pastor in Detroit who was celebrated for uh, taking down a a man who threatened him during the church service. Well, as we came to discover, uh, there's a little bit more behind, uh, beneath this, this news, because um, uh, it, as it turns out, there may have been behaving inappropriately.
the pastor, um, according to social media, Pastor Keon Allison, uh, he he shot his one of his faithful members. He shot one of his members, and um, apparently came to confront him about his pastor having sexual relations with his wife. And what has been released now, as more information has been released, the pastor may have premeditated this event, may have been premeditating the murder, because um, according to some outlets, the pastor was fully aware that the husband found out, the pastor was fully aware of other things that were going on, and pastor started packing as a means of providing a defense. And, and you know, I just I just think it's, it's sad when it comes to this. If you're going to sin and judgment comes on you, or, you know, particularly when you're talking about sexual sins, I think um, I was reading uh, Church Folk Revolution, and, and they posted something, uh, the guys over there posted something regarding uh the David and Nathaniel effect, um, where Nathan effect, where the, the prophet comes and confronts David regarding his uh and adultery and while David is willing to 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 um go off and and, and really condemn the act the one who carried out the act when he finds out him, it's him, he finds he falls in repentance. But this is not the case. This man tried to cover up and may have gotten away with murder. But there, there's, there's more investigation going on, and we don't know. But pray for this. I, you know, I know how easy it is to get caught up in things like this. Um, as a pastor, you know, we, we have to be careful. We have to create careful boundaries about uh, around us so we don't fall into uh this sins like this, but I, it's it's easier said than done. But when we are, we should not try to. Well, you know, a lot of preachers do that. As a matter of fact, we're going to talk about this in a minute. Uh, you know, covering up is not always the best thing to do. Sometimes it's the worst thing to do. But that that's neither here nor there. Look, we'll take a quick break. When we get off the break, we're going to come back and we're going to be talking about the Harvest City City Harvest Church scandal as rocking the world and how your church uses your money when it's only supposed to be spreading the gospel. How 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 can we hold them in account? Better accountability. So that's what we're gonna be talking about. We're gonna take this quick break and when we come back, we'll get into that as soon as we do. As soon as I can get this music going, too. All right, be right back. I don't know. 
I wasn't born to push papers. I was born to push myself. To go where I'm needed. To keep this country safe. I was born with the backbone and brain power to take on any mission. This is my office. I was born ready. GoCoastGuard.com At Farmers, we make you smarter about insurance because what you don't know can hurt you. What if you didn't know that posting your travel plans online may attract burglars? Off to Hawaii. What if you didn't know that as the price of gold rises, so should the coverage on your jewelry? Ah. What if you didn't know that kitty litter can help you out of a slippery situation? The more you know, the better you can plan for what's ahead. Talk to farmers and get smarter about your insurance. We are farmers. Bum, da, da, bum, 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 bum. You're listening to Zero Today with Pastor Lorenzo Neal. Who loves social networking as much as you? Identity thieves. They can find your personal information and do some serious damage, like your birthday or your mother's maiden name. You need a new friend, LifeLock. We scour billions of data points every day. And if we discover that any of your personal information is misused, LifeLock is there. Call us at 1-800-LIFELOCK or go to LifeLock.com today. Jackson State University is not just another university. It's a community. It's a family. And that's not all. Jackson State University is a national leader in biomedical research and development. With world-class science, math, engineering, and technology departments. At Jackson State University, we're leading the way in technology and innovation. One Jackson State University. Changing lives one student at a time. Harvest with one problem. 
they have leadership that's ambash, uh, very, very ambitious. About 15 years ago, Pastor Ki Kong, I think that's right. <laughs> oh man, I, I can't get the can't get the name right. Uh, Kong He or something to the nature. Anyway, um, lost my train of thought just that quick. Let me see if I can bring up this one. All right, City Harvest Church, Kongi, that's right, that's the name. Uh, uh, they really, they recently, recently made headlines because their lead, their pastor, Kongi, and five other leadership team members were found guilty of fraud. Uh, the Council of Charities in Singapore found that they had extorted at least uh, 30 to $40 million, if not more, depending on some reports. Some reports say as much as $50 million um, in donations from their members because the pastor's wife wanted to pursue a pop music career. The pastor's wife, who goes by the name Sun, Oh, a.k.a. the Gasha or something like that, um, had already had a nice music career before she married the pastor of City Harvest Church, and together they founded the ministry, and the ministry has been growing. But her desire was to branch out into the American hip-hop scene. She's a, a Singapore singer and, and rapper, and um, I... <laughs> I saw, I came across this story of her about four years ago, three, maybe three years ago, where um, she was trying to break into the American market. Um, and this, that was old then. That was, that was at least three years old then. So we're talking about maybe 2007, 2008, 2009, somewhere in there, um, where she had gotten, you know, she she was she was trying to break into the market. She was doing performances. She was not, you know, making red carpet appearances in the states and other places in in Asia, in Europe, and she was really getting popular. The problem was, the church was funding it. You heard me right, Pastor um, Pastor He Kong He. And the church leaders were funneling money from the church to help her break out into her superstar status. Now you can go on YouTube and you can just uh, Google, or uh, you know, you can Google Sun Ho, and you'll find pictures of her, kind of scantily clad. You find her, you know, you can find videos of her singing, and she has a wonderful voice. I've seen the videos, I heard the, you know, but uh, <laughs> it was wrong. Uh, she was brought, you know, she, I think. Initially, some years ago, uh, someone called her in, you know, someone called her and checked about it. And so she quietly, she quietly got behind the scenes and, you know, now she's a co-pastor with her husband at the church. But uh, the the Singapore Council of Charity still investigated and found fraudulence for, for, the, for the church. So my question is, you know, 
What do you do when your church is doing something other than what they're supposed to be doing? When money that you give to the church is going to things other than gospel ministry. For example, the story about – I talked about Michael Friedman's daughter, and, you know, um, there were there were some who um, gave money to help him buy a new car. Uh, you know, or, or not just him, but what about when your church uses money? And I've I've done this. I was at a I was at a church. I was when I was in college. I was going to this church, and it was the pastor's desire to live in a million dollar mansion. And you know, he he presented it to the church. He said, "This is where I believe the Lord wants me to live." It was and at the time it was in Little Rock, Arkansas, and it was a very very prestigious ne- neighborhood in Little Rock. And he believed the Lord said that that's where he's supposed to live. So, you know, we raised the hundred thousand dollars for the down payment on the house. And I, I say we because I gave you know my little college money. That I had, you know, was given, you know, when I got college refund. Uh, well, several, <laughs> several places, <laughs> you know, I was sowing seeds everywhere because I just knew I was going to be blessed because I'm sowing seeds. And, and this pastor is living in his million dollar house and I'm living in the dorm room. <laughs> but what do you do when, church, when churches misappropriate your money? What do you do? A lot of a lot of members feel powerless because they have no say in how, how money is appropriated at the church. Mostly, especially at mega churches, you know, there's this there's this uh, sense of secrecy regarding how the church is operated. You, you might know who the CFO is, you may not know, and nine times out of ten, at some churches, you know, it's a family-run business. Everybody in the family got a role, got a title has some kind of position in the church, and they control and maintain how that church functions. And they 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 fuel the desires of the leadership. Well, nine times in ten is the pastor. Now, I don't know why, excuse me, I, I don't know why some pastors are still very intimidated by the idea of accountability. And accountability is is more than just printing out the weekly finances. Matter of fact, there are some now who are saying don't do it because you know it may draw too much attention. You know it may cause somebody to try to rob you. <laughs> uh, but when I talk about accountability, for me, this, this is me. Fiscal accountability of me for me begins with me letting people know first I'm a giver. I'm not just – I'm a full-time pastor, and I live off the resources I receive from the church completely. You know? And I know there are some people who, who just completely disagree with the idea of paid pastors, and um, I, I can understand that argument. Uh, it's a very, very – yes, we know Paul had dual uh, – he was bivocational in, in one, at least one text. Where he says he was a tent maker, you know, uh, but it's also we understand that he lived off the donations of uh, the churches that he ministered to or that he uh, covered. As that's the new word, covered. He lived off the donations, donations, and, and it really 
breaks that down in Second Corinthians eight and nine. You know how the Macedonian how the Macedonians really didn't have, but they they still gave. So that he wouldn't, you know, have been so burdened. And even in some of his letters, he talks about, you know, I so desire to come for you, come see you, but you know, affairs just not in order right now. So once we get our affairs in order, we'll come see you. And as a pastor who lives off the resources of the church that I pastor, I find it easier for me to be accountable first by giving. To let the folk know I'm a leader in giving. Um, I you know I I give ten percent and more if I can. You know I don't I don't strictly teach tithing in that sense, but I I I understand. It's kind of funny because you know I'm giving right back to me, and for some people that's like you know why why give you, you know no I'm giving right back to me. I understand that part of my money is coming from the very resource that's giving me money, and so you know. It, it, yeah, I know it's kind of crazy for some folks. The second thing is, you know, I, I have a great finance team, finance ministry. Um, the Lord had, has blessed had blessed before I even was appointed to the church that uh, the pastors before me understood the uh, understood accountability, and they put in place a team that uh, that had great backgrounds financially. Uh, as far as secular employment and, and things of that nature, and uh, you know, we I have a wonderful finance ministry, and we produce our weekly treasury reports, so you can just get one. You can see what we have in the treasury. You can see what we dispersed and how it dispersed. You could argue when we have official board meetings. You have time. Well, the pastor had to go here. The pastor had to travel there. <laughs> um, I, when I first came to this church, you know, I, I I felt I felt obligated not to take some of the benefits. You know, I was paying my own utensils, utilities, my own car, my own gas. I was doing that, and you know, I was getting compensated. The only thing I had was my travel, and the members were like, "No, we did this for every other pastor." You know, it took about two years. For two years, this is what I did. And I, you know, I stayed at a, a small salary, you know, and I did what we did because the finances of the church were, they were not where they should have been. And as the Lord blessed and began to grow, then they said, Pastor, we will do this. Pastor didn't go to them and say, can I? They said, Pastor, this is what the board is deciding to do. We want to, you know, we see what you're doing and how you've done for us. And this is what we want to do. The other thing is, you know, I I invite, I, you know, I invite members to be participatory when they, you know, in putting our budget together so they can see what we're going to do. What I plan to do for the next year, you know, I, I like, look, this is what I want to do. Do you have suggestions? What do you want to do? How can we do it? And with my, uh, those who are over our ministries, I like, okay, you have projects that you want to do. How are we going to fund them? And, you know, I don't, you know, I don't want to just say we're going to do this, but let's, let's develop an adequate funding program. Let's do this, you know. And at my church, we have two major fundraisers, well, three major fundraisers, and they're annual days, you know, annual programs that we do. 
You know what they are? I'm, you know, most of them are having Women's Day, Men's Day, and we have a Family and Friends Day. Those are our three major uh, annual days that we use as fundraisers. But it has gotten to the point now that we really don't need those as fundraisers as much. You know, we now use them as a means of fellowship and less as a fundraiser because the people now are willing to give. They understand that giving supports the ministry. Now, we we you know uh, last year sometime it came out where a man, uh, very very popular pastor. It was discovered that uh, he was a New York Times best-selling pastor. He was the pastor. You guys know who I'm talking about. Um, he was the pastor of Mars Hill Church in Seattle, Washington. Uh, it came out that the church was buying his books to help them become bestsellers. In essence, they were embezzling the members' money to <laughs> to basically help him, you know, sell books. Um, and I'm an author, and I've sold books, and even that's just another way to do it. I also there's there's pastors who there are some pastors who have a, a lot of talent, so you know they you know they want to open a record record company, and they they transfer funds from the church into this new ministry. It and it's all tax exempt, and they can get away with it because it's it's they establish it as another church, another nonprofit instead of a for profit, and so the government doesn't get any tax money from it. They don't have to account for how the funds are spent, and next thing you know, it's fraud. There are dozens of pastors who go to jail because of fraud than than anything else. Well, not dozens. Yeah, pastors go to jail for fraud more than anything else because it's easy to scam donations than it than it is to uh, be accountable. So, so this church, City Harvest Church, the leaders have been found guilty. Of this great, this great fraud, and it, it calls into question here in the states, what can we do to be proactive, to be proactive against pastors who choose to take advantage, and and I'm I'm not knocking pastors' ambition. I am an ambitious pastor. I got books still. I'm waiting to publish, but I don't think I will solicit the church. <laughs> Now I would solicit the church to buy my book. Please buy my book. <laughs> you know, if I take the time to write it, if it takes the time, if it gets published, please buy my book. You know, yes, I, if, it's my craft. But I don't want you to pay for publishing my book. Now, if you want to, if the church wants to donate, or members of the church want to donate toward that cause, then you you know, put it on the envelope. Put it on the envelope where they can do that. <laughs> you know, at least they can write it off at tax time. But don't just assume that the members are going to support your vision if it's not, you know, something directly related to your preaching ministry or your pastoring ministry. Yeah, you want to tour, 
Yeah, you want to, and this is, yeah, you want to go on vacation. And that's a very, very fine line on that. <laughs> you go, should the church, you know, sponsor your vacation? That's a, that's a whole different thing. I, I don't know. I have to take a vacation. My members are always asking. Matter of fact, I took a little getaway. And my treasurer was like, well, Pastor, uh, how do we how do we notate this? Is this your vacation? Do we give, uh, are we giving you a full paycheck for? I'm like, oh, that's how y'all do it. I'm like, no, just give me, you know, I got travel. I just take some out of my travel, and that that's it, you know. That way, <laughs> I am going somewhere. Well, if you're going traveling, back, uh, what what? What what meeting is it? <laughs> what what meeting? What what meeting should say? And just just say travel expense. <laughs> I just, just yeah no that's probably on the hand it ain't. I probably contradicted what I was thinking just you know, what I was arguing again. <laughs> no, but we have to be more proactive, and and we have to now most most independent churches have a board of elders. And then they may have a separate board for finances. The elders may govern the administrative positions, you know, the pastors and uh, church leadership team. But then they may have um, – and hopefully that board will be composed of members who have integrity, you know, so that they're not benefiting the members. It's okay for a pastor to have a desire for a house and, you know, vehicle and all that stuff. And in some cases, churches may be able to fund that, you know, uh, because they're, at least in our case, you know, we are considered uh, independent contractors of the church. We, you know, we're not employed by the African Methodist Episcopal Church, you know. We may be employed in some churches, you know, a little bit more established, they can they can give pastors W twos and all that stuff, and you know withdraw withhold taxes and all that. My church doesn't isn't able to do that, but there's some who are able to do that. Most churches function like that. And, you know, just 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 be more accountable. And the reality is, accountability accountability doesn't hurt. It's the fear of what happens when you're not accountable that really hurts. It's the it's the consequences of what happens. Things like what we see with Hong Ki and, you know, being found guilty of fraud. And we know there are plenty of pastors who do this. And there are members who just sit back and think that they are powerless against the pastor. And it's a sad thing. It's a sad thing when members feel that way. But you, you have to be proactive. You've got to make sure that whatever your pastor says they are doing with the money, they're doing and for those of us pastors who really don't get much or don't get anything at all, maybe by vocational, because I've been there, you know, I was by vocational pastor for several, you know, almost 15 years. I didn't get any money from the church. Or if I did get money, you know, it wasn't really relevant. So to the point where more, at least in one church, I was putting more into the, you know, I was giving more to the church that I was getting from the church. And I didn't mind it at all because I understood, you know, my goal, my, my role is as pastor, is the shepherd. And if the Lord provides, then the Lord provides. If he doesn't provide, then that's his will. 
I'm learning to live that way even more as a pastor now because I am completely dependent <laughs> on the church for support. If members stop giving, you know, I have to go back to work, and I don't, I have no problem with that. I don't want it to happen anytime soon, but I have no problem with having to go back into the workplace. You know, and for my personal bills, you know, I find a way the Lord always provides for my personal, you know, the bills like student loans, stuff like that, car note. The Lord provides for that. He hasn't failed me yet regarding that. But anyway, don't be afraid to challenge your pastor to question how funds are. Do it in a way that does not bring shame and does not create an environment of anger and resentment. But if your pastor is living in a luxury house and the church is paying, you know, paying for everything, and your pastor doesn't really work, he's lazy, or she's lazy, and and, and they expect you to take care of them, no. No, don't don't support a pastor like that. If your pastor has ambitions to be a, a rapper and they're 45 and they still think they got it, no, don't don't go on. <laughs> I know I'm exaggerating. You can support your pastor's gift and mission and vision without taking away from the mission and vision and calling of the church. The church is supposed to spread the gospel, plain and simple. Preach the gospel, simple, plain, and free. Then all will gladly follow him who was taught he'll draw all men. I'll draw all men, all people unto me. If we lift him up, God will provide. We don't have to funnel anything extra. We don't have to do anything extra. The Lord will take care of us. And if we have ambition, it's there for a reason, to glorify God. But we don't need to allow our ambition to bring people into oppression. We don't need to allow our ambition to create for us unnecessary burdens on people. If we have ambition, we seek the Lord to channel that ambition in a way, in a way that will glorify him and edify his people. And if we're not doing that, shame on us. Okay, I've run out of time. i got to get out of here. I appreciate you for sharing this Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday morning, whatever time of day it is for you. I appreciate you for showing that with, sharing this with me. And everything goes well. We wish you love, peace, and soul. We've got to get out of here. And uh, we'll be back uh, again with another great episode of Zero Today. But to then, be blessed. God bless you.